Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And this past Sunday was Super Bowl Sunday, and that means that we all had the chance to watch some of the best athletes in the world take the field to compete for the chance to be called a champion. And these athletes are defined by their size, by their speed, by the skills that they have on the field. And that made me think, if athletes are defined by things like their size and speed and skills on the field, then what defines us as followers of Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring in this brand new sermon series that we're starting into in this episode of our sermon podcast. We're going to be exploring the defining qualities that every follower of Jesus has. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Some of the best athletes in the world right now will take to the field to compete for their chance to be called a champion. And I got to tell you, I am especially excited about the Super Bowl this year because my favorite team, the team that I have cheered for since I was a little kid, is actually in the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals are playing in the Super Bowl for the first time in more than 30 years. I'm pretty excited about it. But even though I'm excited to see the Cincinnati Bengals playing in the Super Bowl later this evening, whenever Super Bowl Sunday rolls around, I can't help but wonder what it is about the players on the two teams competing for this championship that set them apart. I mean, why is it that these players have the chance to compete for a championship later tonight, and the players that make up the other 30 teams in the NFL are all sitting at home right now? Well, the truth of the matter is that there are a million different things that can cause one team to be playing for a championship while other teams don't even make the playoffs. And if you're a head coach in the NFL, it's your job to figure out what these million different things are so that your team can achieve greatness. And one of the best coaches there has ever been in the NFL is this guy who we're going to put up on the screen, Bill Parsons. Now, over the course of his 19 seasons as a head coach in the NFL, Bill Parcells won 172 football games, including two Super Bowl championships. And just to put his two Super Bowl championships into perspective for you, in the history of the NFL, there have been over 500 different head coaches, but only 13 coaches have won at least two Super Bowl championships. So Bill Parcells is clearly one of the best coaches there has ever been. And part of what has made Bill Parcells such a, a successful coach in the NFL is that he is extremely picky about the kinds of players, the types of players he wants to have on his football team. As a matter of fact, Coach Parcells is so picky that he actually has rules that he follows before he drafts any player to be a part of his team. And although he has specific rules for just about every position you find on a football field, we don't have time to go over the requirements that he has for all of those potential players. If we did, we'd miss kickoff later today, and I'm not going to let that happen. So instead, what we'll do is we'll talk about the rules that he has for one particular position. And it might just be the most important position on any football team, and that's the quarterback. So, according to Coach Parcells, the prototypical quarterback is 6 feet 3 inches tall and weighs 223 pounds. And he can run a 40-yard dash in 4.81 seconds. That's the equivalent of being able to run just under 19 miles an hour for a short burst. And those are just some of the physical characteristics that Coach Parcells wants to find in a potential quarterback. 
But he also has a whole lot of rules about the performance, the way that per- that quarterback has performed on the field that he follows as well. But Coach Marcel says that he will never draft a quarterback unless they were a three-year starter when they were playing college football. And he also expects that any quarterback he would draft will have completed their senior season at the college that they attended and that they earned a degree from their university. From there, he expects that his quarterbacks will have started at least 30 football games while they were playing college football, and that they would have won 23 of those football games at a minimum. He also expects that his quarterbacks would have completed 60% of the passes that they threw while they were playing college football, and completed at least two touchdown passes for every single interception they threw while they were a college athlete. I know that if you're not a big football fan, that all of that information is kind of overwhelming, and it's probably a little boring for you, too. But I promise there's a reason why we started out this morning's sermon talking about all of these things. And here it is. If football players are defined by their size, by their speed, by their skills on the field, then what defines us as Christians? What defines us? Christians. Now, when I ask what defines us as Christians, what I'm talking about, what I want to find out are those essential qualities that make us who we are. What are those qualities that every Christian is going to have? Or to put that another way for you, what are the things that you will never meet a Christian, that, that, that these qualities they don't exemplify? And I'm not the first person who has ever wondered about the essential qualities that make us who we are as followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, back in the ancient city of Corinth, the followers of Jesus there were wondering this exact same thing. They were wondering what defines us as followers of Jesus as Christians just 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And they argued about a lot of these different ideas about what defines us as Christians. And they also have some really interesting ideas about what makes us as Christians who we are. So there were some folks in Corinth who believed that we are defined as Christians by the preacher that first told us the good news of Jesus. So in their mind, if you didn't hear about Jesus from the right preacher, then you weren't really a Christian. Or there were other people in Corinth who believed that we as Christians are defined by our marital status. So there were folks in Corinth who believed that if you weren't married, then you weren't really a Christian. There are other people in the city of Corinth who believe that Christians were defined by the clothes that they wore. So, in their minds, if you weren't wearing the right kind of clothes, then you weren't really a Christian. But the biggest thing that a lot of people in Corinth seem to believe defines us as Christians are our spiritual gifts. And there was one spiritual gift in particular that the folks in Corinth were certain showed that someone was really a follower of Jesus. And that spiritual gift was the ability to speak in tongues. Now, when we talk about speaking in tongues inside of the church, we're not talking about just being able to speak a foreign language. Because being able to speak in tongues means that you can speak a language that you have never studied before. So the people in Corinth, they believed that the ability to speak in tongues truly showed that someone was a Christian. Because the only way that you could possibly speak a language that you had never studied is is if the Holy Spirit caused it to happen. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't cause you to be able to speak in tongues if you weren't really a follower of Jesus. It's not something the Spirit would empower you 
to do. So the folks in court, they spent time arguing about all these possible things that could define us as followers of Jesus. And eventually, word makes it to the person who told most of the people in Corinth about Jesus in the first place. So that is the Apostle Paul. So Paul hears that people, a lot of people in the church that he helped to start are arguing about what defines us as Christians. So he decides to write him a letter where he is going to tell them what truly defines us as followers of Jesus. And I want us to take a look at part of that letter today. Now, we call this letter that Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we'll start reading in verse 28. So here's what Paul writes. He says, In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't have gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak in different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts. And I'm going to show you an even better way. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I don't have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. And then skipping down to verse 13, Paul says, And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So in this passage that we just read, Paul starts out by addressing the spiritual gifts that the people in Corinth become so obsessed with. And Paul admits, yes, you're absolutely right, that God has given all of us our own unique spiritual gifts and abilities and talents. But Paul also makes it clear that our spiritual gifts are not what define us. Christians. Instead, Paul tells us that there are three things and only three things that define us as Christians. As Christians, we are defined by our faith, our hope, and our love. As Christians, we are defined by our faith, by our hope, and by our love. That's it. Those are the three things that define us. So you will never meet a follower of Jesus who is not filled with faith filled with hope, and filled with love. It's just not going to happen. You'll never meet a Christian that's not filled with those things. So during this sermon series called Faith, Hope, and Love, we are going to be exploring each one of these things and talking about what it means for us to be defined by our faith, by our hope, and by our love. And we're going to tackle these three things in the order that Paul mentions them. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together today talking about what it means for us to be defined by our faith. And when we're talking about what it means for us to be defined by our faith, there is no better place for us to turn than the book of Hebrews. And that's because in Hebrews we are given a definition of what faith is all about. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is what we're told. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
So faith is being sure of what we hope for, and it's being certain of what we do not see. And that's a good definition, right? That sounds really good, doesn't it? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean for us to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see? What's what I personally love about the book of Hebrews is the book of Hebrews doesn't just tell us what faith is. It also shows us what faith is. And Hebrews does that by telling us about something that we commonly refer to as the roll call of faith or the cloud of witnesses. So Hebrews tells us about the faith that person after person after person has in God. And again, we don't have time to talk about all of the people and the way that they lived out their faith that we find in the roll call of faith today. So instead, we're going to take a look at the faith that we're told one particular person has. And that's the faith of Abraham. So let's take a look at what the book of Hebrews tells us about the faith that Abraham had. We'll start reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign land. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him on the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So the passage that we just read is Abraham's story begins. Abraham is called to leave behind a familiar place. Abraham is called to leave behind the only place that his family had called home for a long, long time. And when we read Abraham's story, we need to remember that the world that Abraham lived in is different than the world that we live in today. Today we live in a world where we expect that just about everybody is going to pack up their bags and leave behind their childhood home right after they graduate high school or college at the very latest. But that's not how things were in Abraham's time. In Abraham's time, most people never left behind their childhood home or the town that they grew up in. Instead, they were expected to carry on their family's traditions and carry on their family's livelihood in the same place that their family had always lived. So for Abraham, if God had not called him to leave behind this place that his family had called home for more than a generation, he would have been expected to live out his entire life in the same place that his father had lived his life. Now, we think it's difficult when we have to pack our bags and leave behind a community or a town or a city that we've lived in for a few years or a few decades. 
Abraham is being called to leave behind the only place he's called home, the only place his family has called home for more than a generation. And that's not all. Because not only is Abraham called to leave behind the only home his family has had for more than a generation, Abraham has no idea where he's going. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. So Abraham has no idea where he's headed. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I am not the world's best planner. As a matter of fact, Ashley is the one who plans out all of our vacations for our family, just not my wheelhouse. But I can tell you that I have never and will never just pack up my bags and go someplace without knowing where I'm headed. I mean, 10 years ago when we moved to Louisville so that I could become the pastor here at Melbourne Heights, actually I knew exactly where we were moving to. We had our apartment picked out. We even spent time discussing where all of our furniture would fit in. That wasn't the case for Abraham. Abraham has no idea where he's going. But even though Abraham has no idea where he's going, Abraham still went. And that's what faith is all about. Abraham had faith that God would take Abraham and his family to the exact place that they needed to be, even though God didn't draw Abraham a roadmap on how to get there. Abraham had faith that God would provide for and protect his family all along their journey to wherever it was that they were headed, even though Abraham had no idea how long that journey would last. Abraham had faith that God had a purpose and a plan for his life, even though Abraham didn't know what that purpose or that plan was. And you know what? God came through. God came through for Abraham. God came through for Abraham by bringing Abraham and his family to the land of Canaan, a land that we commonly refer to as the promised land that Abraham's descendants have lived in for thousands of years. And God came through for Abraham by watching over and protecting Abraham and his family from any dangers that they encountered along their journey. And God came through for Abraham when Abraham finally became the person that God created him to be. When Abraham became the father of a great nation that God has used to bless all the nations of the earth. Faith tells us that if God came through for Abraham, then God will come through for you, too. God will come through for you, too. So, no matter what's happening in your life right now, God will come through for you. No matter how difficult the road ahead may seem for you right now, God will come through. No matter what uncertainties you are facing in your life right now, God will come through for you. That's what faith is all about. Again, it's like the author of Hebrews tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is knowing. Faith is knowing what God is, what God can accomplish. This is the kind of faith that defines us. And our faith tells us, faith is knowing that God will always come through Faith is knowing that God will always come through for you. This is the kind of faith that is supposed to define us as followers of Jesus. 
Now, as we start into the sermon this morning, I talked about the criteria that Bill Parcells used to draft quarterbacks. He wanted his quarterback to be so tall and to weigh so much. He wanted his quarterback to accomplish certain things while they were playing college football. And if a quarterback did not meet Bill Parcells' criteria, he wouldn't pick that quarterback. So as we get ready to finish up our sermon this morning, I can't help but wonder, if we as Christians are defined by our faith, who would you be picked as a Christian? If we as followers of Jesus are defined by our faith, would anyone pick you as a follower of Jesus? Do you have the kind of faith that is certain that God will always keep His promises? Do you have the kind of faith that is certain that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, no matter how young or old you may be? Do you have the kind of faith that is certain that God will always come through for you? Or do you think that God's going to fail you? God's going to let you down? As followers of Jesus, Paul tells us that we are defined by our faith, our knowledge, our hope, our certainty that God will always come through. My question for you is, is that the kind of faith that you have? Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we are grateful for the stories that we've heard today. We're grateful for the story of Abraham and the way that he lived out his faith, trusting you even when he had no idea where the journey of his life would take him. God, we're thankful that you came through for Abraham. God, we pray that all of us have the same kind of confidence in you that Abraham had. That he was willing to follow you even when he didn't know where the journey of his life would take him. Let that be the kind of faith that defines us all. A faith that is sure of the promises that you have made us. A faith that is certain of the future that you have in store for us. God, help us defined by that kind of faith. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to think about the kind of faith that you have. Because as followers of Jesus, we are defined by our faith, by our hope, and by our love. So do you have the kind of faith that defines you as a Christian? Do you have the kind of faith that shows that you are certain of the promises that God makes for us, that you are certain that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, that you are certain that God will always come through for you? Because that is the kind of faith that defines us as followers of Jesus. And if we don't have that kind of faith, then we all need to ask if we're really Christians. Well, in our next episode, we're going to continue to explore the defining qualities that every follower of Jesus has. And that means that we're going to be talking about what it means for us to be defined by hope. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But you don't have to wait for the next episode of our podcast to drop to join us for worship. We'd love to have you join us online every Sunday morning at mhbclouisville.com slash live. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I will be praying for you and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.